And I want to ask God's favor. And also those online, man, praying for you too as well, okay? I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for everybody that's here. Uh, it's a critical hour. And I want to thank you for uh, the way you draw us to you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. It's undeniable. Ask for a lot of grace right now, please. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, last Sunday, I posed the following to you guys. That these are markers or little bits of evidence that we really struggle with self-esteem. All right. And when I say we struggle with self-esteem, I'm saying we have a damaged view of ourselves. Number one, we're a chronic evaluator, a chronic critic and comparer of other people. We're sometimes really struggling with pride, bitterness, that kind of stuff. Um, we constantly seek validation, fishing for compliments, but we're doing more than that. It's, it's so urgent, it's, it's getting us deep inside. And that if we're not validated, we feel crushed. Um, we tend to use people, kind of pull them near real quick, use them, push them away. Back and forth, a lot of short-term relationships. We use people. Uh, we struggle with how we relate. A lot of our interactions where people are fear-based. We're literally afraid. We struggle with fear and uh, have insecure attachment. We actually believe... That if we have a good hair day and the color of our clothes is just right, we're somehow better people. We literally have improved worth by something external like clothing or a car or something. Uh, we deal with a lot of irrational embarrassment. We struggle with uh, what's called imposter syndrome. We're not sure why, but we think we're frauds. We're a big fake. And if somebody really knew what was going on inside of us, they would dump us in a New York minute. We're constantly being viewed, cameras everywhere, that kind of a feeling. Um, Self-sabotaging emotions and behaviors. Real quick, little mini counseling session. You ready? Why do we self-sabotage? Why? Why would you do that? What's that? So you don't succeed. You don't succeed? Why would you not want to do that? Proving yourself right? Fear? Anybody else? Why would we self-sabotage? So you're going to beat him to the punch? <laughs> punch yourself out? Yeah, Carrie? Ooh, I like that. You can't fail. Why? Because you're already a failure. If you have a really damaged view of self and your normal is to be screwed up, did you catch what I just said to you? You're normal as a screwed up self, screwed up life. When you start feeling success, it's terrifying. When something might good come your way, that's, that's intimidating. So screw it up and go back to being normal. Some people are really good at being victims. They're really good at being victims because they feel safe in there. Um, how about this one? Your sense of self is always on the outside. It's always about the outside stuff. Your, your figure, your skin, your hair, your muscles or the lack thereof, which would be me and all that stuff. It's always on the outside. But the stuff that's deep on the inside, we just ignore that. What's Jesus? Come on, give me some scripture. When Jesus attacked the Pharisees, what would he do? Where would he take it? 
<laughs> he what? He Right? Right? And then he would take it where? Straight to the inside. He acknowledged the hypocrisy of the outside and went straight to the core. Right? Makes sense. He, he does that not just with the Pharisees. He did it with his followers in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He'd say things like this. You've heard it said to hate your enemies. But I say to you, Love your enemies. That takes it right to the core issue, right? Or, or uh, he'd say, uh, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But he said, I say to you, don't lust. It goes straight to the core. He gets to the internal sense of self, and he's not content with the external. In fact, um, um, Genesee says, you Pharisees are like a whitewashed tomb. Or you wash the outside of the jar, but inside the jar is wicked. You're full of dead men's bone and wickedness, evil things. Um, uh, by the way, uh, did you know that if you leave a baby bottle with leftover milk in it, if you leave it out by the sink and you open it a couple of days later, <laughs> there's just something about the inside, right? We can look clean and shiny on the outside, but inside, if we took the lid off and got honest, Stinks in there. It can stink inside our hearts. Bitterness, hate, pride. Ooh, all the nasty. So when you've got a really unhealthy view of self, and to, to, to the point, you're not walking with Jesus. Can I cut to the chase? You're not walking with Jesus. You're trying to be successful walking with yourself or a few people that make you feel good about you. Life's hard. Life's real hard. And it's real shallow, too. Okay, so let's pick at some things. Who is Jesus? I posed that question last Sunday. I can't tell you how critical it is. And I think it's fascinating that Jesus asked his followers twice. Who do men say that I am? Who do people say that I am? That the son of man is. And Peter answers, well, you're, you know, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He asks him again, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ of God. Brilliant wording from Peter's part. Who is Jesus? It's a great question. Jesus said this, Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's kind of repeating himself for a good reason. Then they were saying to him, Who are you? We really got to figure out who he is. And Jesus said, what do you mean, who am I? What have, you been, what have I even been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to say and to judge regarding you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these things I say to the world. All right, let's talk about world, world religions. This should be real quick. Uh, the great world religions. Now, these are, this data um, is uh, what I had easy access to. My presumption is that it's relatively current. Christianity is the largest religion on planet Earth at the time. Islam second, atheism at 16%, Hinduism and Buddhism. Let's walk through that just a bit. Uh, atheistic secular humanism. Anybody heard of this? Secular humanism. Uh, there were some recently some news articles that 
governments, there are even some efforts made by the government to move toward a more atheistic and humanistic approach to our world. Simply put, there's no God. There's none. You are your own God. You're your own highest good. And by the way, there's no moral problems. There's no moral sin. Why? Because there's no God. Think about that. If there's no God, what's that? There's no standard. Therefore, all standards are become absurd unless it's your culture group. Like, for example, if in, in culture group A, uh, it's okay to abuse children, it's not an issue. It can't be a sin or it can't be a moral problem because that's the culture. Now, culture group B would say, oh, no, no, we don't do that. We do something else. Well, at that point, it's a moral grab bag and you do what you want. If there's no God, there's no moral code. If there's no moral code, there's no transgression of that code. Only what other people say. Okay. Anybody read the poem Invictus by Hendley? Anybody read that poem? Unusual dude. Um, he had some serious health problems. Had his leg amputated. Joe barely saved the other foot. And he's a teenager in the hospital bed trying to recover. And he writes Invictus, which is all, it's humanism. It's like saying, I, I, will, I will begin my day if I want to and thank any God that there might be. And I will lift up my bloodied head and I will not back down with my last dying breath. I will throw my punch. This kind of language. I am the captain of my own soul and nobody tells me what to do with my life. That's Invictus. That's humanism. Absolute humanism. Um, atheistic hedonism. Uh, pursue pleasure, avoid pain. <laughs> there you go. That's how you do life. There you go. It's hedonism. Your moral compass is, and it feels good to it. How about this one? Buddhism. There's a wide path, right? Find your way. Everything in the world is maya. It's pronounced maya. It's an illusion. It's all fake. This is fake. This is all an illusion. You know, the amazing breakfast we had was just an illusion. You just imagined you ate breakfast. You really didn't. And there's a samsara, this ongoing cycle of reincarnation, you know. Relax, zen out, everything's an illusion. Walk the middle path, be enlightened. Buddhism, you know. Uh, Hinduism, there's about 330 million gods. They did count. I don't know how you would do that. But Brahman is supreme. And he's the all-present force. I'm waiting for the perfect opportunity for a joke. He's the all-present force. Thank you. Can you imagine what was spooling in the background when they made that movie? Hmm. All humans are divine. Everything outside of Brahman is an illusion. So ignore everything that's not Brahman. Attain to nirvana, nothingness. Um, Judaism, keep 613 laws perfectly. One more comment, you got it, uh, Michael. But then you got to keep the secondary laws of Talmud, preferably the Palestinian Talmud, not the Babylon Talmud. Michael. I just want to let everybody know Buddha was not actually fat. <laughs> no, actually, you're right. Do you know why? Why? Particular religion actually went against overeating, and they would actually sacrifice. I forgot how he got into the image of being fat. 
Yeah. But it's actually well, it became a good luck symbol. But so here's the story about the dude. Um, he was very, very wealthy from a way upper class family, and he renounced his family. The Buddha, and that's not his name, it's, it's Siddhara Gautama, it's his name. So he turns his back on his family and he goes the way of poverty. And he denies himself everything. And he's skinny and he's starving to death, by the way. Okay. He's barely surviving and he decides to do this. He's going to indulge, hear me, he's going to indulge himself and eat a small bowl of rice. He ate the rice, sat under a tree, and said, either I'm going to experience enlightenment or I'm going to die. He lived, experienced enlightenment, and became known as the enlightened one, also known as Buddha. All right. Um, so back at it, Judaism. Think you guys are good at keeping the rules? What do you think? Could you do that? Could you keep 613 rules? <laughs> exactly. And if those of you did not say yes, you broke one of the ten, which is thou shalt not lie. Mm. Caught, red-handed. What about this one, Islam? Uh, by the way, which means peace, because you submit to them. It's from a, a root word in uh, Arabic, meaning peace. To be Muslim means you submit to Allah. By the way, uh, if you want to know how to convert to Islam, you just simply confess with your mouth, there's no deity but Allah, Muhammad is his messenger. Boom, you're Muslim now. There it is. Got to confess that with your mouth. If you do the prayer, the required prayers, the required giving, the fasting, and you make your hajj, your pilgrimage to Mecca, uh, you could be assured of eternal life, but the problem is even Muhammad himself was not sure. There's no security in Islam. No security at all. This is the scary one. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. That phrase was coined in 2005 by a scholar. And essentially, this is what it means. Notice the lowercase g. There's a god somehow. There's some godlike thing that exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. This God wants people to be good, nice, fair, as taught in the Bible and other world religions. And the central goal is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. This God does not need to be involved in your life. Not at all. But he's there if you need him. And good people go to heaven when they die. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Does that sound familiar? That is the religion of most Christian churches. You ready for this? In Little Rock, Arkansas. That is the dominant religious system of most churches in Little Rock, Arkansas. They just sweeten up the language. They'll throw Jesus in now and again. Right? There's no radical call to submission. There's no call to take up your cross. There's no call to come and die. There's no call to sacrifice at all. God, small g, is there to make you happy. He's like a really, really nice, kind of healthy grandpa with lots of money. 
you know. And he's gonna he's gonna bless you with some cool stuff to keep the kids close, and then give special presents to the grandkids to make them happy. He's just it's kind of a cosmic Santa Claus kind of thing. And then, wow, it all changes if you become the person who is truly born again and you make the decision to follow the teaching and example of Jesus. Now, please appreciate this. I'm showing you that from a big picture perspective, there's a lot of religious tracks you can take. Atheism and just wave bye-bye to all of it. You can do that. Um, and you will bear the consequences of that one. In fact, we're going to bear the consequences of all this stuff. But if you say you're a Christian, if you say you follow the ways of Jesus, then this means you're going to start moving away from the self-esteem, self-centered, egotistical way of doing life where your perception of self is really what people think or your ability to make your life all about you, you move away from that. God's not here to make you feel good about yourself. Just the opposite. God is here to make you look like his son, Jesus. And that word, it's an academic word, is called discipleship. Um, got a good friend named Bill Brown, his son Nathan Brown, and Bill is like the eighth man in Okinawan Shonru Karate, and, and Bill's quite a, an imposing figure. In fact, you know him, Michael. Stephen knows him, and Michael knows him. And you can become a disciple of Bill Brown, right? And he'll start you off at the, you know, the first grade level of what it means to do karate and all that stuff, and you get your gi, your little white outfit on, and you'll eventually earn the first belt, and you move on up. And you're a disciple of Bill, and that particular discipline uh, out of Okinawa, Japan, called Shonru. Uh, his son Nathan is like a sixth degree black belt. So disciple means you're a student of, all right? Christ esteem where I consciously and willingly see myself and value myself and others in the exact same way that Jesus saw and valued himself. It's a dying to self and it's a becoming alive to Jesus. Uh, it's like what Jesus said, uh, or what John says about John the Baptist, John the gospel author, that John the Baptist said, Jesus increases, I decrease. In moralistic therapeutic deism, the the God his you know the spa, the spa faith is that you increase and Jesus decreases. We get Jesus to the background because he knows how to ruin your party. So we don't want Jesus involved. What we want is in, in God to give us our therapeutic spa moments and put cucumbers on our eyes and all that stuff, wrap us in seaweed, make us feel really good about ourselves. Um, uh, no, John the Baptizer says no. Jesus increases, I decrease. It's a very different approach to discipleship. All right, you ready? Let's look at this. Romans chapter 8. I love this. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, 
Christ Church, and I mean you as an individual, does the Spirit of God dwell in you? Does He? If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. You're not born again. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Does that sound like moralistic therapeutic theism? No. That sounds like the book you have, Stephen. A Call to Die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, brilliant German Christian. Galatians 5. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and pleasures. So we get to this idea that if you can find somebody better than Jesus Christ, someone that has a more pure love, has a more intelligent social ethic, has more humility, more courage, someone willing to die to fix what's broken in me, broken in you, and take away the barrier between you and your God at no cost to you, please follow them. Please turn your back on this lousy guy named Jesus and please go follow them. Now, I'm using rhetoric. You know what that means, right? Thank you. There is no alternative to Jesus. There's none. He is the only way and the truth and the life. All right, Christ Church, here's here's where, where Christ's esteem becomes salient. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, we're starting at that base. Okay. And you claim that you've been born again. You've experienced the new birth. Then the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Okay. And if the Holy Spirit is inside of you based on John 16. What's the number one job of the Holy Spirit? Based on John 16. Yes. What's that? Yes. But there's one more thing. It's very specific. How? He's going to point to this one thing. Point to Jesus. That's so good. You're so good. It's always about this. It always goes to this. Always. He's going to remind you of it. He's going to point you to it. He's going to bring it to remembrance. Always, always, always. Truth. Truth. Which is based on the words of Jesus. Always the truth. So if the Spirit's inside of you and you're embracing lies, if the Holy Spirit is inside of you and you're embracing lies, you're deceived about your body and what it means to be good looking. And you're deceived about your soul and what it means to be cool. Okay? Are you deceived about your spirit and what it means to have a relationship with God? Then you are not living according to the truth. You're not a disciple of Jesus. You're caught up in self-esteem and you're a disciple of the world. Does this make sense? Okay. If you can find somebody better than Jesus, please leave and go follow them. 
If it's that important to you, leave. Go follow them. But I'm, I'm, I'm where Peter is. Peter said, where are we going to go? He asked this, remember this? Melissa, John 6. And Jesus, Jesus is teaching. And he had a really big youth group there for a while. I don't know if you knew that. Like a really big youth group. And when you read John chapter 6, the youth group gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And Jay, he says, hey, by the way, if you didn't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. Youth group just got smaller. He keeps saying harder things, harder things. And finally, it gets down to the 12. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, turns to them and says, are you going to leave too? Jesus said that. Are you going to quit on me too? And you know what Peter said? The knucklehead that can put his foot in his mouth like that. You know what he said? Where are we going to go? You are the one that has the words of eternal life. We ain't going anywhere. He gets it. Man, when Peter gets it, it's beautiful. Where are you going to go? You don't think he's the guy? Okay. Leave. Where are you going to go? You got somebody better? You think Buddha's going to do it for you? You know? Or you think atheism's the way to go? By the way, funny thing about atheism and morality. Have you guys heard a lot about, well, there's no such thing as moral absolutes, right? You've heard that. And the left agenda and all this stuff and the deconstruction of morality. I want you to take the most liberal nut job person on the left who says there's no truth and there's no morality and no absolutes and see what happens when you cut their paycheck in half without their permission. <laughs> all of a sudden, math is a really important absolute, Galen. Oh, David. One thing that people also don't understand that atheism in itself actually is Satanism. It because gets right back to it. There's an enemy. Because that's what Satan was telling Eve. Yeah. You be like God. Yeah. There's nothing else you have to worry about. Just yeah. Fruit. If you like that, you don't have to worry about it. Don't have to worry about it. Yeah. That's, yeah, what, yeah. True, that's what true Satanism is. Yeah. The, the person who's uh, anti absolute, anti morality, anti right and wrong. It sounds really good until someone does them wrong. Then all of a sudden we need justice. You know, defund the police. You know, who needs cops? Until, <laughs> until there's a crime against you. Then all of a sudden, well, where were they when you need them anyway? And it took them so long to get here. <laughs> Bless. Yeah. And it's hard to be consistent, isn't it? It sure is. So, Christchurch. You're the body of Christ. If we're going to embrace Christ's esteem, I, 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 I'm telling you it changes everything. It changes how we see people. changes how we see ourselves. changes how we do relationships. To really be a disciple, a student of Jesus. All right, I'm going to turn it over to you. We've covered some pretty big picture things. I'm getting you ready. Next Sunday, we're going to hit it hard about being a disciple and what it means to follow Jesus. Anybody, a question, anything? Uh, anybody online, Stephen? Anything you want to ask?
that it? Okay. Talk about your bodies just for a second. <clears throat> First, uh, uh, Psalm 139. David writes and he says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that our bodies are, are kind of like a, uh, a lamp. They function like a lamp. Uh, what's interesting about technology that in Corinth, somebody, we don't know who the dude was, but he figured out how to take a clay, a small clay pot, very, very small, and work the clay so thin that it wouldn't fold on itself and collapse on the wheel, but maintained rigidity even though it was super thin. And they were able to cap it off and make a little, a little lamp. It's a fascinating technology. I think they perhaps they just let the clay be a little drier than, than normal. And it maintained rigidity. And so once it dried and was fired, they had this little tiny lamp that had a thin wall to it. And when you put oil in it, olive oil, and the wick, and you lit it, guess what it did? Guess what it did? It glowed. It glowed. Paul said, our bodies are like that. That when Jesus is in us, we glow because there's a real thin wall. And the wall is so thin because we don't have self-esteem issues. The wall is so thin, we become transparent because we're secure. And that's when Jesus shines through. Okay. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about our bodies. Does that make sense? Okay. What's your view of your body? What's your view? You know? If you're into self-worship, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. Right? I am too. You know. What's that? Average. Average, average, yeah. Is it okay to be average? It's okay to be average, right? So. It's okay to be normal, huh? Just be normal. So your body is holy if you're born again. It's a vessel that houses the Holy Spirit. Um, do you view and value your body the way God does? The way Jesus does? Or if the deepest desire of your heart is it to live for your body and not for God is what it gets down to. Okay. What are you living for? Impress people with your body? Derive validation through it? Or if you have Christ esteem, you see your body as being a temple. Changes everything. All right, I want to pray and I want to bless you. Abba, Father, I love you and I thank you for everybody that's here and the hard work you've done this morning and getting down to that reality of what does it mean to really follow your son and not, and not toy around with faith, but to take that very, very seriously. So ask your grace and blessing on us right now. 
And we get to sing love songs to you, which is beautiful. Uh, Bless right now, Father, please. In Jesus' name, amen.